Oh, good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, it's good to see you guys. If you don't know me, I, my name is Brandon, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at River Glen, and I'm just excited for this weekend. First, I'm excited the band from Asbury is here to lead us in worship this weekend. Uh, just so you know, our, our, our kind of tie into them and why they're here is that young lady who was playing on the pianos and singing, her name is Stephanie, and she is a River Glenner. She grew up here at this church. Uh, she was part of our youth ministry, and so she's down uh, at college there, and she brought some of her friends up to lead us this weekend, and I am pumped to have them here. Uh, it's really exciting stuff. Yeah, Absolutely. We're excited about the Asbury. They're great. Kind of like a proud youth pastor moment with her up here. It was pretty cool. Um, also, we are kicking off a brand new series, which I'm pumped about, called You Asked For It. And essentially what we did is a couple months ago, we sent out a big survey to everybody in our database at the church and said, hey, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And we got a lot of great responses back, and we're going to start diving into some of the big ones that we started seeing throughout the survey uh, today. Have you ever noticed as humans that we are kind of inclined to just simply ask questions? It's just something we're ingrained to do. It starts when we're little kids. Uh, my three-year-old Noah, this is exactly where he's at in life. Everything to him leads to a question, uh, which is fun sometimes. Um, but right now, all, almost all of his questions, I'd say 98% of his questions revolve around whales because he's all about whales. He, he watches documentaries. He uh, has toys. He uh, checks out books in the library. He wants to know about belugas and humpbacks and killer whales and what type of water they like and what food they eat. It's all about whales. It's even getting so, getting so crazy at this point that he tells Danielle and I his name is now Noah Blake Beluga. Seriously, he's not even a Stevenson anymore. He's a whale. So that's it's just what he's about. He'll also just ask some really funny questions, and it, just, it makes us laugh. Recently, my wife took Noah and Drew to the zoo. It was a nice day out. And from the backseat, as they're going to the zoo, Noah yells up to Danielle and goes, Hey, Mama, if we see the cows, can we thank them for the beef? All right. I mean, I don't know where he got that from, but hey, that's a good point, though. That's, we should thank cows for the beef because from cows we get steak. It's worthwhile thanking them. Now, I don't think Noah understands the process of how we get beef, okay? So don't go tell him because we'll probably get a lot crazier questions from him and possibly less steak in the house. So we don't want to have that happen. He asks crazy questions, and for the most part, I feel like we've been able to handle Noah's questions in our parenting lives right now until about last Saturday. Last Saturday, we're wrapping up dinner, and out of nowhere, Noah's just like, where's God? And I'm just like, what? Like, pastor, dad, I felt inadequate in all those areas. I'm like, um, how do I explain where's God to a three-year-old? He's, he's everywhere, Holy Spirit, Trinity, all, all this kind of crazy stuff, and everything that's computing in my brain. My face probably looked like this as he's staring at me. And I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, ah. And finally, I'm like, ah, God's in heaven. That's where he lives, Noah. I'm like, yes, I figured it out. He goes, where's heaven? Is it far away? Can we go there? Can we drive there? Can we go see God? And just question after question. At that point, I realized this is why I never went into children's ministry. <laughs> I'd be a horrible children's pastor. And I'm just, 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 just struggling as, as to answer any of his questions. And finally, my wife mercifully finally jumps in and takes care of it because she's able to kind of speak three-year-old better than I can at this point. And she gives a great answer that satisfied Noah in that moment. Uh, but this is our world, and this is Noah's world. It's asking questions, trying to figure out how things work and why the world is the way it is. And what Noah's world is, our world should be the same way. 
We should always be asking questions from the time we can start talking to the day we die. Questions are a good thing, and it's a responsible thing for us as humans to do in life. Because something I've learned over my years and through my faith is I've learned that God can handle our questions. So we shouldn't be afraid to ask them. And a lot of times God has given us the answers. We just need to be willing to talk and research and, and, and seek out what those answers really are. Let me tell you, you guys had some really, really good questions that we're excited to dive into over the next few weeks in this series. Now, just to be clear, there are some questions you asked that we can't answer. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, once someone asked, who killed JFK? I got nothing for you. Sorry. Uh, another one, but I'd like to know the answer, is someone asked, why are there mosquitoes? That's a really good question I want the answer to. Um, maybe, though, we may not get mosquitoes because it looks like it's going to snow until next year. Um, but whatever, I want to know the answer. And then there was a question that was asked. It just kind of shows the true feelings of some people here at River Glen. And the question was, what's the most effective way to deactivate a cat? Uh, you can figure out what deactivate means. Um, and, and so I just learned there's this huge group of people at River Glen that just hate cats. And I'm pretty sure our family pastor, Andy Averill, is leading that charge. And so if, if that's you, you want to start a ministry, a care group, whatever you want to call it, support group, Andy will start that up with you guys. You can talk, get together talk about how much you hate cats. Uh, but I, I can't answer how to deactivate a cat or the best way because that's just weird. Uh, so Andy can deal with that. Uh, but we all have questions. It's good that we have questions. And one of the common themes that popped up through this survey is this topic of salvation and forgiveness. And this is a big topic because it's central to the Christian faith. And so the first question we're going to kind of tackle together is this question, can I feel confident that I'm forgiven and saved? And this is a big question, but before we really get to that point to answering that, I think we have to answer why this question is so important to begin with. Why is it important to talk about uh, forgiveness and salvation? Why do we need, even need to address this? I think we have to do that because every one of us is on a different journey in some sort of level here. There's some of you here right now that uh, just have your doubts about God, whether he exists or not. You're kind of has some skepticism there. You have lots of big questions and you're not sure what to do with this Jesus guy. I am so pumped that you're here. I'm glad you're here with your doubts, with your questions. And let me just be clear. My goal today is to not, con I'm not trying to convince you of anything, but maybe this will spark a discussion for you and, my, and myself and other people because discussion is good as we're wrestling with big questions. And there's some of you here, you know the answer to why we have to talk about salvation and forgiveness. But for you right now, this idea of salvation and forgiveness seems so far out of your reach. You don't think that you're worthy of forgiveness and you're worthy of salvation. You long for it, but you know you just you feel like you can't have it for certain. And that's you right now. And maybe there's some of you here, you know about salvation and forgiveness, but it feels like a moving target. It feels like you hit it one day and you're feeling good about it. The next day it's completely the opposite and you're so far from God's reach, you, feel, you don't feel like he's ever going to bring you back. And that's what it is. And that, that feeling of no security leads to guilt and shame and regret and just the cyclical effect of us trying to work our way back into God's good graces. You see, there's a lot of tension that surrounds this topic of forgiveness and salvation. And this is why we have to discuss uh, why we uh, need to, to deal with this. And this is why I think this was such a common theme in the survey. Now, here's the truth, though. This tension that we deal around forgiveness and salvation, this isn't a new thing. This has been something that people have been dealing with for thousands of years, all the way back to the beginning with the first people, Adam and Eve. 
You see, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, there was no guilt, no shame, no sin. They were naked. They had nothing to hide. They were close in their relationship with God, which is why God created them for a relationship with him. Everything was going great for them. This idea of salvation and forgiveness wasn't even on their radar because there was no need for it. Everything was good. But eventually, Adam and Eve rebelled against God and went their own way. They felt like they could do better on their own, and they sinned. And as soon as sin entered the world, everything was broken. They were guilty. They felt shame. They realized they were naked, and they ran, and they hid from God. They realized they weren't worthy enough to be in God's presence anymore, and they broke that relationship with him. But God went after them, and God found them, and God clothed them. But from there on out, nothing was the same. You see, from then until even now, Satan has worked hard to pull us away from God. But God has worked hard and done everything needed to pull us back to him. This is what's happened. And so from Adam and Eve in the garden when they ate from the tree that God told them to, or from when Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy, or when David slept with another man's wife and then killed the husband to cover up his sin, or when Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was three times before Jesus died, what we see is the Bible is filled with people who have messed up, failed, and sinned. Whether it was out of lust or jealousy or doubt or failure, whatever it may have been, Satan threw out temptation and they took it and they went away from God. And because of that, they needed forgiveness and they needed salvation. And you don't have to really know who any of those characters are that I just mentioned. But what's important to know the Bible, which is central to the Christian faith and what we read and trust as God's word, it's filled with people just like me and you who fail, who mess up, who sin. And we're just like them. We're just like them. But quickly, by, by show of hands really quick, how many of you in this room, just raise them up high, have ever sinned? Just, just went against God's direct, yeah, there we go, cool. And if you didn't raise your hand, um, that's called lying. Um, that's not cool either, so go ahead and raise your hand up high now. Uh, now we're all going to know who's the liars. Um, but here's the deal. By my quick calculations, we're hovering around 100% of us in this room who have sinned and messed up, okay? Every single one of us. In fact, the, the, Paul, one of Jesus' followers, uh, wrote in his letter to the church in Rome this, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What we just did really quickly is no matter where we are in our journey, we've just leveled the playing field and realized every single one of us in this room, the Bible says it, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We all fall short of God's glory and his standards for life. Whether by word or deed, every single one of us in this room have said or done something that said, God, I don't need you. I've got this on my own, and it's gotten us into some trouble in life. That's what we've done. And the biggest trouble it's gotten us in is it broke our relationship with God and brought with it a huge payment, like where it says in Romans 6.23, for, for the wages of sin is death. This is what sin does. It brings death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death and relational death. This is the destruction that it brings, and we've all done it. Because of that sin, we are all in need of forgiveness, and we are all in need of salvation. Salvation from our life of sin into a life with a redeeming relationship through Jesus with God. This is why this topic is so important. This is why we need it. I think this is why this topic was so big on the survey, because all of us deal with it. All of us sin, all of us mess up, all of us need this forgiveness and salvation. 
And I think we, we react to sin, our sin in our lives, in a couple of different ways. I think one of the ways we react to sin is actually why this, this topic came up so much, is that we react to it with guilt and shame. We, we regret what we did. It leads us to feeling guilty. Eventually leads us to feeling shame. And that makes us believing and thinking that we are unworthy, that God wants nothing to do with us, that there's no way that God would actually love us enough to come and forgive us and save us through his son Jesus. We think there's no way that he wants anything to do with us because of what we've done or continue to do in our lives. This is how we feel. Shame leads us to hide and shame leads us to feel unworthy. And shame leads us to think there's nothing that God can do for us. Shame puts us in the darkest place in our lives that we think no light will ever break through to get us, to save us, to forgive us. And there's some of you in this room, this is exactly how you're feeling right now. You feel like you're unworthy, you've messed up, and you've sinned, or you continue to struggle with some sort of sin, and you see it's a, the effect that it has on your life right now. Right now you're thinking there's no way God could ever forgive you or want you or want anything to do with you. Well, that's not true, and I'm going to share why in a moment. Another way we react and respond to our sin is we work really hard to overcome it. We work really hard to be a good person, and we think all the effort that we give, all the work that we put in, that's going to make us a good person, and God's going to like us again, and we'll be good for him. And so we work really hard to not sin and be this good person. But let me ask you, how good is good enough? Like, when do you feel like, okay, I've made it finally? Because I've gotten stuck in this cycle. You know, if I read my Bible every day and I go to church every week and I'm just a good person, then I must be doing good. And so what I feel like is I'm doing good one day and I feel like, yes, I'm in. God's happy with me. I'm forgiven. I'm saved. But the next day I screw up and I'm going, oh, man, I'm out. God doesn't like me. God's angry with me. There's no way he's going to forgive me. And we work so hard in that way. We live in that cycle of trying to earn our way back. And that's some of you in this room. You think, if I do the right things, and I say the right things, and live the right way, and do enough good things, then God will be happy with me. That doesn't work either. In fact, neither of these ways work. Shame doesn't work. Guilt doesn't work. That's not the truth of what God has already done. And working our way back towards God will never be good enough. We can't earn our way back to salvation and forgiveness. We can't do enough good things to be good enough for God's standards. This doesn't happen. You see, Satan has worked really hard to pull us away from God, but God has done enough, and more, than, more so than Satan, to bring us back to him. And he did it, not based off our works, but through what he did in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible said that the wages of sin is death. And that means our sin brings about a payment, and that payment is death. And that's what it says in Romans 6.23. But look what the second part of that verse says. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but God's gift is eternal life with him, salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, God paid the payment of our sin through his son Jesus. It's kind of like this. Imagine you have a loved one. Think of someone that you love really quick, son, daughter, uh, spouse, family member, whatever. Now imagine that they were kidnapped. They were taken hostage. And the kidnapper, kidnappers gave you a monetary value of what you felt, they felt like they were worth. And for you to get your loved one back, they said, you have to pay us this amount to get your loved ones back. What would you guys do? 
you guys would do whatever it took to get your loved ones back. Now, I know we watch movies, and the reality is, like, the cops and all that kind of stuff, they say, we don't negotiate with them, we don't pay kidnappers, all that kind of stuff. That's probably well and good, but if you're the one where your loved one has been kidnapped, you're doing whatever it takes. You are breaking down walls, you are selling whatever you have, you're selling kidneys and other body parts to get the money to get your loved ones back, because they mean that much to you. You'll do whatever it takes. Well, that's exactly what God did. You see, when we sin, we become hostages to our sin. The Bible actually says we become slaves to sin. We're held hostage. And there is a payment that's needed for us to be freed. And God paid that payment through his son, Jesus. This is why Jesus came. He actually said so. Jesus' own words in Matthew 20, 28. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus gave up his life as a ransom payment for you and I so that we can be free, so that we can be rescued, so that we can be forgiven and saved. This is what it is. We couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't free ourselves. It took a payment that we couldn't pay, but God could, and God gave that to us as a gift. That's grace. This is what grace did. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. God gave it to us freely. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we will do. Jesus came to lay down his life for me and you so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be saved. You see, the way we're forgiven, the way we get salvation is not by being a better person or working really hard for it. It's not by earning our way back. It's by accepting the free gift that God has given us, not by our own doing. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of of God. The way we have confidence that we can be forgiven and saved, the way we live our lives every day knowing, you know, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm good with God, is not by our own doings. It's by trusting in the work that God's already done through his son Jesus. That's it. That's the answer to this huge question that we all wrestle with. And maybe not th that's not the answer that you like or we're looking for, because uh, it seems kind of simple on the surface. That's what it is. Because so many of us, we want the whole steps. I, want, I need to do one, two, three, four things, then I'm good. But it's really nothing about our steps, our actions, or our work. It's about the work that God already did through Jesus. And there's some of you in this room right now who feel like that work that God did wasn't enough because of all the guilt and shame that you feel right now. You're feeling like you have no business being here. You think that God wants nothing to do with you and that God can't forgive you and won't forgive you and doesn't want a relationship with you. If that's you, whether you're in this room or you're watching on your, your computer right now or whatever, here's what you need to know. There is nothing, nothing that you have done or will do that changes God's feelings about you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to pay the ransom for your life. Because he loves you that much, he wants that relationship with you. He wants to bring you back. And he did it by offering up his own child. That's the truth. No matter what you've done, you're not too far from God's reach. But you may say to me, Brandon, you don't know what I've done. Then I would say you don't know what Jesus has done. Because no matter what you've done, Jesus' actions were greater. No matter what sin you committed, his sacrifice was worth more. And his forgiveness and his salvation through him is greater than any mess up your life has ever come about in the past, in the present, or in the future. That's the truth. 
And for those of you who are living this life trying to earn your way back, thinking, I just got to be a good person and do enough good things, just stop. It doesn't work. There's not enough church attendance or good deed that's ever going to make you right in the eyes of God. But Jesus is the one that makes you right in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did for you. You have to stop working for it and put your trust in the work that's already been done. This is it. That's the answer. But there's two things I want to remind all of you about in this room that hopefully will help you every day of your life as you're struggling with this question. Because this question is not going to go away for any of us. Here's the reminders. First is this. Satan will remind you daily of your failures. You see, Satan's known as the great accuser. And what he's going to do is he's going to whisper to you. He's going to put reminders in your life and do whatever he can to remind you of who you used to be. The failure, the screw-up, the sinner, the one that wasn't saved, that wasn't forgiven. He's going to do whatever he can to bring doubt and temptation into your life. Because he wants to pull you away from God and trusting in what God already did for you. That's what he's going to do every day. And he's going to plant seeds of doubt that God's work through Jesus isn't enough to forgive you and isn't enough to save you, that you might have to do a little bit more. Or he's going to make you start thinking that there's nothing God could ever do that would make you good enough in his eyes. He's going to put that doubt in your head. And he's going to continue to throw temptation your way to make you follow that back into that sin again. So you start thinking again, I'm just a a waste of time, a screw up, there's no way God can love me. That is what Satan does over and over again. You need to be reminded of that. You need to remember that when that comes, that's who it's coming from. So remember that, but also remember this. Be reminded of who you are in Jesus. Because if Satan is going to spend every day reminding you and trying to remind you of your failures, then you need to be reminded of your greatest victory, and that's the one found in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? For those who put their trust in Jesus, there is no condemnation. None. It doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who now live a perfect life. It's just if you put your trust in Jesus, there's no condemnation, no more penalty. The ransom's been paid. The wages is taken care of. There's no condemnation. And we need to be reminded of that every single day. I'd suggest memorizing that verse, Romans 8.1, and maybe write it down somewhere where every day you look at it, you read it, you remember it. It's like, oh, yeah, because of Jesus, I'm good. Because of Jesus, there's no condemnation for me. I've put my trust in him, and all his work took care of all of my sin and mess-ups and failures. We need to do whatever it takes to be reminded of who we are in Jesus because of what Jesus has done for us. Honestly, one of those steps is baptism. You see, in baptism, we identify with what Jesus has done for us. We identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection. We identify that we are not the ones who can save us, but Jesus can. And we do that by publicly showing that through baptism. Now, let me be clear. There is nothing magical about the water. There's no, like, holiness to that water. It is simply a powerful moment where we publicly proclaim that we can't do this, that only Jesus can. Last week, we had 23 people take that step, and it was awesome. But last week wasn't the only week that that's able to get done. You can do that today. The water's filled. We're good to go. We have the closed house, everything needed to do that if you want to take that step. And if that's you, if you're like, you know what, I've got to stop doing this on my own. I've got to stop living in this shame and this guilt. I've got to trust what Jesus has done for me. And I'm going to show everybody that through baptism. 
let's meet at the resource center and we'll get that set up after service. It'd be a great step for you. Helps bring confidence. That's something you can do because who, when you are in Christ Jesus, when you put your trust in the Him, you are a new creation. You are forgiven. You are saved. God doesn't look at you as a sinner or as a failure. He looks at you rather as His child whom He dearly loves. And that's the truth. When we put our trust in the Jesus, we become His child. Romans 8.15 says this, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. What that is saying is when we've accepted Christ, we become his son, we become his daughter. And from there on out, nothing will change that. Nothing we do or will do will change the fact that God loves us. And that God has saved us and that God has forgiven us. Jesus is where we find our trust. You see, River Glen, too often our faith gets uh, kidnapped by shame and guilt. And we think that we're not good enough. And we overcomplicate things by thinking we have to work our way back into God's good graces. And we have to do all these different things to be good enough. That's not the truth. And we're overcomplicating it. We don't need an overcomplication of our faith. Our kids don't need an overcomplication of our faith. Our community doesn't need an overcomplication of our faith. We just need Jesus. And that's the God's honest truth. Here's what I want you to do really quick. I want you to think of someone in your life. It could be a, a son or a daughter or someone that no matter what they do, nothing would change their status with you. It wouldn't change your love for them. It wouldn't change their relationship with you. It wouldn't change any of that. I want you to think of that person. Take 10 seconds to do that. I'm going to go grab two of mine really quick. Come on, Batman. He picked his own clothes out today. So these are my two sons. Third one's coming in August. That's what we do. We make sons in the Stevenson house. So this is Noah. He's three. This is Drew. He turns one next Sunday. Yeah. Um, and, and I've told stories about these guys, and they're wonderful, and they're amazing, and Noah's looking himself on the screen because he loves himself. Um, but here's the truth. They're cute. They're innocent. They're really funny right now, right? Um, but did you mess your diaper up? You may have. Wow. Um, here's the thing, though. They're cute, they're innocent, they're wonderful, but they're not going to stay that way. And in fact, Noah already hasn't stayed that way. He's messed up, he's sinned, he drives Danielle and I to our brink of sanity. Um, it's what he does. And they're both going to rebel against me, against God. But let me be clear. Nothing these kids will ever do will change their status with me. I will love them, they will be my sons, and I will be their father. That's the truth. And I'm sure you feel the exact same way with the loved one you're thinking of right now. Now put yourself in God in the situation. Go ahead. Put yourself in God in that situation. God thinks the same of you. And you've put your trust in the Jesus. You've become his son. You've become his daughter. There's nothing you do or will do that's going to change his, that status with him. His love for you. He loves you more than we can love our kids. He loves us more than we'll love anybody else. You want to go over? There you go. Yep, you're mad. That's okay. 
<laughs> There's nothing that you and I will ever do to change that. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did for us, and that's how we feel confident in our forgiveness and our salvation, not by what we've done, but what Jesus has done. And he's brought us to be sons and daughters of God. Because of that reason, the only response I can think of is giving glory to God. Because not by my works, but it's by his. That's what we meet here on weekends to celebrate that. And so the Asbury Band's going to come out, and we're going to move into a time of worship together. And the first stage of that is going to be communion. When we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us, we remember the body, the blood that was shed for us so that we can be forgiven and saved. And if you're uncomfortable taking communion, that's completely fine. Just let it pass by. But for those who are followers of Jesus, we invite you to take in this time to remember what Jesus did, to worship him in that moment. And then the band is going to lead us in a couple of songs. Now, I want to encourage you guys to stand and respond by singing. Top your lungs. I don't care if you're a good singer or not. It's not about that. It's about giving glory to what God's done for you and me. And if you need just to take a moment in that time to pray or pray with the person beside you or whatever it may be, do that too. But use this time to remember what God has done through Jesus. And if you want to take that step of baptism, let's meet the resource center right after service and we'll get that going. What better time than now? That's the truth. That's how we feel confident. It's through Jesus. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today and this chance to come and hang out and, and just worship who you are and what you've done. God, so often we, we get caught up in this need for forgiveness and salvation that we take that burden from you and, and put it on our shoulders and think we have to earn our way back. And God, it doesn't work that way. And help us to remember that. God, help us to remember that no matter what we've done, it doesn't put us so far out of your reach that you can't get us anymore. That you reach so far that you sent your son to walk among us, to come, to live with us, and then die for us. And it's because of that that we can be saved, that we're forgiven, and we can have eternal life with you. That's your gift to us. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.